All right, welcome into the Duck Territory podcast. Matt Prame, Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, hello. Uh, heavy-centric basketball So weird podcast. that we would do that this, on this day of all days. Why are we talking about basketball right now? I, I, to be honest with you, I don't think we were expecting to talk a lot of basketball two weeks ago. That's true. That's true. Uh, I... I I did predict Oregon's men would go into Vegas and would win. So did I. Uh, you did as well. Uh, and podcast. on this podcast, yeah, we both picked Oregon would win the tournament, but I don't know if we would have even thought about doing that two weeks ago. No. Um, I, I think we learned a lot about this team going in after they played up at Washington State and Washington getting a sweep, going in with a four-game win streak. But still, nonetheless, uh, here we are talking about now two NCAA tournament teams. The men got their seed. Uh, the women uh, had a little, <laughs> oh had a little earlier than expected, oh my God. Uh, and we'll, we'll discuss that oh. as well, but the oh. women also received their seed, and they'll be playing at home Friday night uh, against another in-state school, Portland State, uh, so we'll break down their their seed, their, their path. Eric's got a story up on uh, his feelings of their path to Tampa Bay, where the Final Four is at. We'll also go into detail of some spring football. I haven't seen spring football since it seems like a month. Because so much has happened and since. You missed two days. And I missed two days. <laughs> so <You> we'll, saw <laughs> I saw half of spring football, but I feel like I've missed everything. Because all the stuff that's happened between Oregon basketball, uh, Oregon women's basketball, uh, we've also had softball has been going on, baseball has been going on, uh, spring is officially here. Too many sports. And it's just too many Let's sports. Let's do less sports. <laughs> no, no, I like the sports. I yes. like that we have so much we, going on. Exactly. Uh, let's, let's get into... This Oregon run because this Oregon basketball team has, I don't know if, if they found their identity of what they were expected to be going into the year because Bull Bull is not playing right, right now. And I think there's had to have been some adjustments of how they play, who they play, where they play on the court. Uh, but they have found the identity that works and that is playing with a very, very big lineup, four guys, six foot nine. And then Peyton Pritchard as the as basically the lone guard. I mean, you could maybe count Lewis King, but this team has has gone on a run now where they've won eight straight games, six straight games where they didn't allow 61, uh, 62 or more points, which is a program record in shot clock history. Uh, their margin of victory over this eight game win streak, I believe, is like seventeen points. And we have to note that yes, they have two wins over Arizona State. They have two wins. Over Washington, they have a, a win over Utah. Those t- three teams all finished in the top three. Uh, they also have two wins over Washington State, which was the second worst team in the conference. That being said, the league is down a little bit. So my, I guess to open things up, I'll give you my opinion first. Yeah, but, let's go. Uh, is this team for real? Do you do you see what we've seen? Eight straight, they are a, a hot pick for a, a 12-5 upset over Wisconsin. Uh, which we played in San Jose on Friday. Are you bought in? Is have you seen enough that this is this is a legit team now? I think I have, and I think the one thing in the back of your head that kind of keeps you sort of being a, just a little bit maybe more pragmatic is they're playing in the Pac-12, and none of the teams that they played during this run are at least seeded as well as Wisconsin right. is. Washington is a nine seed. Arizona State's one of the last four in, and Oregon obviously is a twelve. So the competition is not quite the same. At the same time. Oregon handled that competition with pretty much with with ease. Yeah. Besides that Arizona State game, which went overtime. to overtime, was a game that was, and that was the most impressive game I think of the weekend because they were down seven late and they made this big run and then they were able to just kind of dominate the overtime period. But 
that would be the one thing in the back of my head going like, maybe not yet, just because they haven't played the competition. At the same time, in terms of what we've seen on the court, absolutely they deserve kind of that assessment of this team is ready to compete because, like you said, this is a big, strong, athletic team. I think they're a matchup problem for a lot of teams. I think Wisconsin's going to have a hard time matching up with Oregon. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason we'll probably get this in a second. That's kind of why I like Oregon in this matchup because, like you said, they're, they go four six foot nine players to start. That means Lewis King's going to be guarding a guy about six inches shorter than him, and he's proven capable of guarding the guys. And watching the players for Wisconsin who will be guarding, exactly. none of them are going to fly by him. Yeah. These are guys that are mostly spot shooters. These are guys that distribute well. They play good team basketball. But King is going to have an advantage over there. I don't see uh, Davison or some of these other guys being able to match up with him. You know, I don't know how they're going to guard a guy like them unless they do something funky defensively. And I know they'll probably play some zone and stuff. But it'll be interesting to see how that matches up. But I really like the way Oregon is playing right now. And I think it really does come down to, to Peyton Pritchard stepping up. And, and he obviously was the, the Pac-12 tournament MVP for a reason. Played really, really well in the last three games, the first game. Against Washington State, he only played about half the game because they were up by so much, but he didn't really have to play that well. But those last three games, he played about as well as you could have asked him to play. Really dominant and impressive, especially in those, in those final two games, just of taking the game over when they needed it. And, uh, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for this, obviously an up-and-down season. But having a guy like that who's that veteran presence, it's what we've been looking for all season. I think they now have it. And with King playing well offensively, White playing well offensively, Getting guys like Amin and Richardson some uh, some contributions off the bench, I think you're kind of seeing it all come together. And you asked earlier, is this what they thought at the beginning of the season was going like? I don't think so, but yeah. I think right now you feel pretty good about where they're at. Yeah, I think this team is legit now. Uh, I, I I think part of it helps with the draw mm-hmm. because, like you said, Wisconsin is maybe a susceptible upset. You know, they've got Ethan Happ, a six foot ten, six foot eleven center that basically does everything for them. He, I think he leads the team in points. He leads the team in rebounds, and I'm pretty sure he leads the team in assists as yes. well, mm-hmm. uh, which is very rare for a center, it's, and it's like five assists per game. Um, everything will run through Ethan Happ, and Wisconsin has a system that they play, and they won't allow anyone else to play outside of the pace that they want. You know, It's very rare that you see a team you know, run up and down uh, against Wisconsin. They find a way to slow it down. And, but the reason why I think this team is going to be uh, moving on from the first round, moving on from the second round, I think they make the Sweet 16, uh, is because of their defense. And I think going in, we we were expecting an Oregon team with Bull Bull and Kenny Wooten, you know, everyone kind of funneling everybody into the paint a little bit and letting those two guys kind of uh, basically disrupt any kind of offensive rhythm uh, that an opponent would have. That's changed to a degree. I think this team is ve- this team might be Dana Altman's best defensive team we've seen in his nine years at Oregon. Two other teams uh, currently, the Ken Palm uh, adjusted defensive rating is 18th in the country. Um, Wisconsin is third in the country for comparison's sake. Uh, Oregon, though, they've had two other other years they've had a better ra- rating. The 2017 team, which went to the Final Four, was six, which was uh, 17th in the country. And then the 2013 team, which went to the Sweet 16 and lost to Louisville, which has a lot of comparisons, yeah, I think, really to, this, we should talk about that in a second. to this year's team, uh, had, I believe, that the 12th uh, best adjusted defensive rating. And um, defense carries, rebound, rebounding carries. And this Oregon team, they have four guys. I, I'm very impressed with Francis Okoro defensively because Kenny Wooten, Paul White, and Lewis King, you can kind of switch them off onto anybody outside of 
you know, one position. Like, I wouldn't feel very comfortable if Lewis King was matched up against Ethan Happ. I wouldn't be very comfortable if, if Paul White, you know, was consistently matched up against a point guard. Right. Um, Kenny Wooten can guard basically all five positions. Uh, but those two guys, you know, White and King, you know, they can basically guard four different positions, one small, one, one bigger. Okoro is starting to get to Kenny Wooten's level of defense where he can almost guard anybody because multiple times in the Pac-12 tournament, he got on uh, a Remy Martin or a Lou Dort or Jalen Noel right, or David yeah. Crisp on rotations, uh, Matisse Thibault, and he never wavered. He never failed. He had his guy. He kept his guy in front of him, had a hand in his face on his on his jump shots, and um, did a very good job contesting it. And so I, I think they've got four guys that can guard basically any position, which is tremendous value for versatility. And then you said Peyton Pritchard. I'll be the first to admit I, I was a doubter of Peyton Pritchard in the middle, middle of the season. Uh, I didn't think he was going to be a guy that could ever lead an Oregon team to a tournament a tournament appearance, and he's proved me wrong. He's proved a lot of doubters wrong. Yeah, absolutely, proved me wrong. He he's been tremendous, and I put this on Twitter during Vegas. I I think he's gonna it's gonna hurt him a little bit because Kenny Wooten will be on the team next year as well. But I kind of think Peyton might be a dark horse for Defensive Player of the Year next season because of his steals and the, his ability to guard has just improved so, so much. The steal thing, I think, went really under the radar. We oh, 100%. Second in the conference. He, he, was, he was second in the conference. And then the last eight games, I think, averaged over three and a half steals per game. So he really stepped that up. And that was, again, a huge part of their success, especially in Vegas, was his Ehab and a lot of those guys defensively able to not only protect the rim, which they did an awesome job against, but also to get out, force some turnovers, get in transition. And that really helped him against Arizona State, especially when things kind of got murky. Um, the, the 2013 team, I think there's a lot of comparisons in this one because just like in 2013, Oregon needed to win the conference tournament to get into the, into, into the NCAA tournament. Uh, that 2013 team didn't necessarily have, you know, an overly dominant offensive player. Uh, they were led by EJ Singler. Um, obviously I, I think Lewis King is a much better scorer than Singler was, um, as a senior on that year's team, but, at the same time, neither of those guys, I, I, I think you can go in and, and say every night we're going to get 20 points from them. You know, you can't say that about Lewis King. He, he, he can give you double digits, but he's not going to give you probably 20 every night in the pack, in the tournament. Um, and they relied on their defense. They relied on their tempo, on their tempo. They relied on, on rim protection. Uh, and, and they relied on not making mistakes and, and making the simple plays. And that's how this Oregon team this year has gone on this run of, of eight straight and getting to uh, the, the NCAA tournament and having a, a draw now where they could make a run. And, I, and look, they they hit a huge lottery uh, yeah. win, getting not only getting San, uh, San Jose, uh, which is basically in the biggest hub of alumni base outside of the state of Oregon, uh, the Bay Area. So I would expect a lot of Duck fans are going to hop on this bandwagon and they're going to be at the games. Uh, it helps that it's a Friday. It gives them one more day of rest. It helps tell fans, hey, we can take the day off of work and, and not have to go to work the next day and, and catch a duck game and you know maybe have a night out on the town in San Jose and then come back Sunday afternoon if they win. Um, it, it, they got a huge, huge bonus by the, by the, by the location and seed. The location thing is interesting because the two higher seeds now, Wisconsin and Kansas State, are both playing teams that are much closer yeah. to their campuses. You see Irvine uh, is a 13, and, and they'll play Kansas State uh, in the first game. And Oregon, if they do beat Wisconsin, they play the winner of that game. St- strange situation here where it's possible that Oregon, 
you know, plays Wisconsin at five, and, and who knows, maybe Kansas State loses to UC Irvine, Oregon plays a 13 seed. But either way, yeah, a lot of comparisons to what it was like uh, back in 2013. And, and you remember, I think it was Travis Ford, the Oklahoma State coach, saying like, "Yeah, they were not, not a 12 seed. Really fair. That should have been a 12 seed. That's probably similar to how yeah, it was Wisconsin, Wisconsin and Greg Gardner feeling right now. Like, hey, we almost won the Big Ten. It's a really good conference. We beat Michigan, who's one of the top seeds. We, you know, we almost made the Big Ten championship game, and yet we're going to be sent halfway across the country to basically to Oregon's, you know, backyard, backyard, and play a team that's just won eight straight, won the conference tournament, did really looked really good doing it. Like, this sort of stinks, and and that's just the unfortunate reality of how it's set up. I think looking at the women's side, same type of thing where the Oregon women are going to be playing four games close to home. The Oregon men get a really advantageous here to have basically a season where they struggled for the entirety of it last month, get hot, and and now they have I think a really a beneficial matchup here. And we should mention here, not looking too far down the line, but if they do get to the Sweet 16, it's not like Virginia is a team that's looked particularly good in tournament play. They lost to a 16 seed last yeah. year. They've had three other times where they're a one or a two seed, and they've lost before the Sweet 16 or in the Sweet 16. So uh, it's a pretty favorable matchup, and obviously we're looking way too far down the line to talk about Virginia. But uh, I, I think it sets up pretty darn well, and if this team plays like they've been playing, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they win one, two, maybe somehow three games in this tournament. Yeah, they are in the South region, uh, which means if they are to advance from the first and then advance from the second round into the Sweet 16, they will then head uh, to Louisville, Kentucky for a Thursday Thursday afternoon evening game uh, against whoever comes out of the 116, which is um, – Virginia and somebody, <laughs> and then uh, the next one is Ole Miss uh, and well, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, and it's, a, and it's, it's Weaver a, State playing Virginia, by the way. Weaver State, which this could set up a lot of. I mean, w- there's a lot of what if scenarios here. Yeah. But th- look at this just play out in the, of ga- potential games that Oregon could play and the storylines that could happen. Um, and this is just you know. Totally off the wall craziness here. I love it. Let's do it. Uh, but let's just say Oklahoma wins against uh, Ole Miss, and then they upset Virginia. Okay, uh, gets Oklahoma the, again, and gets to the Sweet 16. Uh, Oregon beats Wisconsin, which is a, a common opponent the last couple of years in the NCAA tournament. They met twice in 2014 and then in 2015. Uh, and then Oregon plays Kansas State in the second round, a school that Dana Altman was the head coach of. Oh man, at one point, so much history. Uh, they and they get they get past that. And then you have Dana Altman, Oklahoma, a rematch of the 2016 Elite Eight, and also basically Dana Altman and Lon Kruger, the head coach of the Sooners, are basically best friends. Dana Altman is looks up to Kruger as his mentor. Uh, and, gave, his, gave his first job, I yeah, think. Yeah, gave his first job. They go golfing every offseason in Europe. Uh, just the, the potential storylines are all there of just craziness to happen. I had not thought about Oklahoma beating Virginia. so I, hadn't con- I mean, I'm I not going to expect that. But I hadn't connected in my head that was a possibility. I really just thought it would be Virginia there. But, yeah, there, there are some weird weird things going on here uh, potentially, and I think it's going to be a really fun opening weekend. I, I'll tell you what. I, I think, uh, you know, if you're an Oregon fan, you didn't have much to watch last year during the yeah. tournament, and, suddenly, and you probably felt the same way about a month ago. Yeah. Now suddenly – uh, I guess open up your schedule on Friday because there's going to be not one but two Pac- or Oregon basketball teams playing in the tournament on Friday. Yeah, and, and real quick before we wrap up yeah. um, the men's side of things here, I, I think we have to just a- appreciate the run that they went on mm-hmm. because I don't know if people realize, you know, Peyton Pritchard said after the Utah game that 
I think it was Utah or they're, I don't even know what day it is. Uh, after one of the first few games in the tournament, Peyton basically said, I'm running on four hours of sleep. Yeah. And a lot of the players were talking about how it was so difficult for them to get to sleep because they, they had these estimated start times of an 8.30 game. But the reality is in every tournament across the board, and it's not just a Pac-12 issue, uh, is that these games run late. And for the most part, Oregon's games weren't starting until almost 9 o'clock uh, in the evening. And they're not getting over until sometime shortly after 11. And they've got to, the players then have uh, a 10-minute cooling down period. And then they have to sit in their locker rooms and do uh, open interviews for 15, 20 minutes with the media. So now it's uh, about almost midnight when that ends up. And then they got to pack their bags get everything ready to go, get out of the arena, get on a bus, go to the, the hotel that they're staying at, um, which was a different hotel from T-Mobile where it was located. MGM, yeah. They were at the MGM. And, and then from there, they had to eat dinner, they had to get some treatment, and then they had to shower, and then they had to go to bed. And all you know, by that time, it's like 1.30, and Peyton was talking about how you know his adrenaline was just so high after every single win, he couldn't come down from an emotional standpoint, to get his his body in a state where he could go to sleep. And so he's like, every night I'm running on four hours of sleep. And I, I just, the whole grind of that, four days and four nights of that, is pretty impressive. I, you know, as somebody who wasn't playing in any of the games, <laughs> but was up till 11, 11.30, sometimes closer to midnight, I think the Arizona State game ended up close to midnight, uh, I was also pretty tired by the yeah. end of the weekend. And Matt, who was also down there, can attest to the fact that, well, sorry, I shouldn't say I was not down there. He was down in Vegas. Matt, who was down in Vegas, can attest to the fact that it's a pretty long weekend. Yeah, it's a grind, and it, it's very, very difficult, you know, to, to work through. Even for, I mean, I wasn't even playing games. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, you know, working out. I'm not, you know, playing this competitive atmosphere. I'm literally just going and watching the games, and then doing some reporting on after it. And I, you know, I wouldn't leave the arena until almost one o'clock. And you know, by the time I got to my hotel, which was also the MGM, you know. I, I walked a good distance carrying all my gear, and you know, I, my blood my blood had been pumping a little bit, and I'm I, like, I can't go to sleep. What, what am I going to do? And yeah, so I'm up till three o'clock in the morning. Well, tables were calling. Right? Tables were calling, and uh, so so were the, the, the sports books and all that. But um, well, and real quick, I I wish we were there. I wish we could have sent you to, to the women's yeah. to get a feel for that environment. Everything that I heard from people that had gone to both said it was pretty good. Um, I think. If you can afford the money to go to one of these events, either it's the men or the women now, because basically they're on the same level now where almost every year they're going to be playing for a conference championship, um, you have to go and experience this at least one time. Just because you've got 12 fan bases all together, you've got 12 different pet bands, you've got you know the media circus that's going around, uh, you've got obviously the, the, the shows, the betting, uh, the sports books. Uh, the gambling, all of that. Uh, Vegas is, it, hands down, one of the best sporting events that you can go to if you're an Oregon fan. Football, basketball, baseball, softball, doesn't matter, track. It's it's up there. It, for me, it's the number one. And if you're an Oregon fan, for men's basketball, look at it this way. Every year, they have won at least one game. And every year, but two out of the seven that it's been in Vegas – or two out of the eight now it's been in Vegas, they have made it to the semifinals. And uh, set, six out of the seven years, they've made it to the championship game. Yeah. And they've won it four times. It's not bad. 
It's not bad. Uh, women now have had their seeds released, and that, oh, we should start with let's that. Start, yeah. We have to start oh, with that God. because that was so bad. It was so bad. I don't understand how. Mm. So if you if you lived under a rock and you don't know what we're talking about, ESPNU was doing like a 24 hour marathon of coverage of the men's tournament. They were doing all this previewing, interviews, discussion panel, whatever. And as they are talking about the men's game and the men's tournament coming up, uh, they were showing the brackets. But somehow they swapped the men's bracket out and in its place had a not-yet-released bracket of the women's it, tournament. It was embargoed. It was supposed to be at 4 o'clock, but yeah. at 12.15 on ESPNU. Here it is. And here it is. And that just killed all oh. the watch. There were like 64 watch parties planned. Well, all of them just got crushed. They got crushed because they moved up the show. Yeah. Like, if they could have just... I, if I would, and, and I understand that this is, again, embargo. This is ESPN's... The only one, they're the ones who get to release this. That's their right to do it. The show is set for four. Without really giving anybody any notice, uh, Joe Wiltasi, who, who is, you know, does, covers, uh, or as the SID for Oregon Women's Basketball, said he was out in the golf course with the women's golf team at 1.30. When he, <laughs> when he gets a text saying, hey, the show's now at 2, what are we going to do? And, and, and schools across the country like that were scrambling last minute because, hey, we've got this watch party with hundreds of fans coming at 4, and yet they decide, again, to release it at 2 p.m., basically canceling every single one of these announcement shows. And, and, and in the same right, Media was canceled for the day. Oregon, yeah. Oregon uh, coaches and players didn't speak with with media, so it was just a huge, huge gaff, a huge mistake. I don't, I, I, I think, I think they just handled everything wrong, literally every step of the way. Don't release the information first, and then if you're going to, let the people have their watch parties, and, they, and it can just be a celebration of hey, there's no suspense anymore, yeah. but let's just enjoy it. So it, it that was, was to me that was terrible. That to me was the bigger mistake. Yeah, it was, was huge. Obviously, the first one, you know, of releasing the brackets, just you know, that's the side itself. You don't need to explain that one. Yeah, but then. Bad. Making the decision of, oh, well, we screwed up. Well, here it is anyways. Now we'll just talk. We'll just go on and talk about it. That's going to piss off a ton of schools. Oh, yeah. Because it's an opportunity for them to raise money. I mean, you you have an opportunity for these schools. Hey, we've got an opportunity to call our boosters, our big boosters, and get them in, get them in an environment of we know we're going to the tournament or you can see the joy and, uh, of athletes seeing – your donation dollars being put into a program and helping them achieve this success. And on top of that, it's connecting fans. I mean, guess what Kelly Graves had pointed out today, I think, yeah. of that not only the team want to have that experience themselves, but they wanted to invite the fans in a, a limited opportunity where the fan and the, the program can be one and and enjoy some kind of success. Yes, Greg's quote really quick was, I'm mainly disappointed we didn't get to celebrate with our fans because they've been a big part of all of this, and it would have been nice to have everybody together. Instead, again... NCAA did what they wanted to do. Or ESPN, ESPN did what they wanted to do. I think NCAA is probably really disappointed. We'll see. Uh, I would imagine there will be some change in practices to how this operates. Uh, it, obviously, you don't want to leak out the bracket four hours before it's supposed to be released. All of it was a, a mess. But when it was released, we should say, I think Oregon got a very favorable draw. Um, they are the two seed in the Portland region, which yep. if you don't understand how that works, that means they're <laughs> going to be playing their first two games in Eugene at Matthew Knight Arena, first game on Friday against Portland State, the 15th seed. Six o'clock. At six o'clock. And then the following weekend, if they do advance, they'd have to beat the winner of Indiana and Texas uh, on, on Sunday. Uh, they would then 
potentially play in Portland. They would play in Portland, but would play in Portland against potentially a team they've already beaten in Syracuse. They win that game. They might play another team they've beaten in Mississippi State, who's the one seed in that bracket. So it really does, to me, set up very nicely for them as the two seed getting to play, again, potentially their first four games within their own state limits. That's pretty unusual. I know Kelly Graves, when I went to school up at Gonzaga, and he was the coach up there, uh, Gonzaga was once, I think, at the 11 or 12 seed, and they played in Spokane for the first two games at their home arena and then at the Spokane Convention Center for the wow. Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. So he's sort of familiar with how some of this works, but uh, certainly a unique situation. And I think, so, you know, again, Oregon fans, Oregon players knew this was a possibility basically since last year. They knew they are going to at least have the first two games at home, but once they saw the Portland Regionals coming out, that immediately became a target for them. So I think hats off to them for being able to accomplish that. It's a huge accomplishment. And then hats off for the state. I think this is going to set up for some really, really exciting weekends for you're going to be able to watch, potentially, Oregon play four games in the NCAA tournament to, to play in the Final Four, which would be in Tampa Bay uh, in about three weeks. So really set up nicely. Yeah, if I'm Oregon, I, I feel very confident because the three seed, you know, if everything just goes chalk, you know, the three seed is Syracuse. You beat them already on your home floor early in the season when I don't think Oregon was really playing. Second game of the year. Yeah, nearly close to the level that they were playing once they hit Pac-12 play. Mississippi State, who was the one seed in the in the Portland region, uh, Oregon played them at home and beat them as well by I think more than a couple points. Eight points, yeah. Eight, eight point win there. Um, obviously, Mississippi State has a, just a load of a front line, uh, and they are going to be extremely tough to beat a second time. Yeah. But the benefit of the doubt is you're going to be playing in the Motor Center, and it's probably more than likely going to have more than twelve thousand Duck fans. Uh, in that arena watching that game uh, if that matchup does come true. And then, you know, if, if there's a couple upsets, like if uh, five-seed ASU gets into the Sweet 16 and gets to the Elite Eight, Oregon has history of beating them twice as well. So you've got teams in your bracket, uh, if you're Oregon, that you know, hey, it's some of these games were difficult, some of these games were blowouts, but we've beaten every single team that we have faced that's that's in our bracket as well. So we we know we can get to the final four. I think that has to be a big thing because there should be some confidence looking up and going like, okay, Portland State and, and either Indiana or Texas are going to be the only teams that we probably will not have faced going into these games. But we've got experience playing Syracuse. We've got experience playing Mississippi State. Yeah. Not only do we have experience to beat those teams. Um, one thing Kelly Graves was asked specifically about Mississippi State and if it was positive to have experience playing. He said, it doesn't really matter because I don't know if we're going to play them. Both of us still have to win three games to get there. But certainly I think the bracket sets up really nicely. And we should mention this is an Oregon team that lost to Stanford in the Pac-12 Conference Championship game uh, on Sunday, March 10th. Kelly Graves gave the team a full seven days off. They took seven days off from practice, from any team activities. He said he didn't really hardly see them at all. He was out recruiting. He barely saw them at all over that period. And so people were asking what the team was like. It's like, I've barely seen them. I saw, <laughs> we practiced today. We met briefly on Sunday. That's basically been the extent of it. So this is a team that should be more well-rested. Obviously, if you watch the Pac-12 tournament, you can kind of tell that I, I at least thought they looked tired. I thought they looked like they needed some rest. So couldn't have asked for a, a kind of a better setup here. They don't play until the 22nd. So that's 12 days um, between games. I think, you know, that should be a huge benefit for this team. And uh, they're going to be more healthy than they've been in a while because that last stretch of the season where they did have some ups and downs, Ruthie Heber was hurt, Taylor Chavez was hurt, still hurt, uh, Maite Gazzarola had uh, some, some sickness, uh, Satu Sabli had injuries, Sabrina even looked like she might have you know, messed yeah. her ankle up. I mean, there was just nobody was fully 100%, and, and, and I don't think many teams in the country are 100% right now, but 
I think you have to think Oregon is going to come out this week in a much different mindset and a much different level health-wise because they've just had a lot of time away, which is, I think, a good thing. This time. Yeah, I, I'm fully expecting this Oregon team to just blast Portland State by 40. Uh, and, and you know, whoever they play in that second-round game, I, I think they're going to do the same thing. They might not win by 40, right. you know, but I think that, I think this team is going to come out with a pretty strong statement because they know they're two wins away from getting to Portland, and that's basically been the goal. Mm-hmm. Get yourself to the two-game tournament in Portland where you got to win two games in three days, and if you do that no matter who you play, knowing you're the best offense in the country in the women's side of basketball – you're playing in Tampa for the right for the for a championship game. You know, I I, I think the rest, like you said, is going to prove to be maybe the biggest yeah. like, biggest storyline of this NCAA tournament is because they looked tired when they played Stanford, mm-hmm. uh, the Pac-12 championship I think they game. They tired against UCLA and Arizona too. And yeah, they they looked they looked like you know what a seven man rotation would look like when you're playing at a high level and you've only got so many interchangeable parts. Right. Um, is there any kind of an update on Chavez? Could is my I guess my question is: Is there a chance that she could play in the tournament to just give Sabrina or Maite even just a five minute rest that they wouldn't have originally have had? Playing the tournament, I think yes. This weekend seems pretty doubtful. I, the quote that uh, Graves gave, gave today was: "She's still not 100. percent She hasn't practiced yet, which is notable." Uh, it's still up in the air where she's going to be, and that was in response to this weekend. But I'm confident that at some point she's going to be back this season. So obviously I think that's confidence that the team is going to advance through this weekend. And I think it sounds like the timeline would be more towards um, the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 in Portland rather than this weekend. And that's pretty significant. She's, she's a player that was playing 18 minutes a game before injury, averaging about five points per game. She was really the third guard in that rotation behind Maite and Sabrina. So a key part of the team, I don't think you'll expect to see her back this weekend, but reading between the lines there, it sounds like they're kind of aiming for uh, those Sweet 16 Elite Games in Portland for a return for her. But I do think that is something to keep an eye on for because the rest of this team was was kind of – the way this team is built, not really a team that was really, I guess, in a great spot to, to handle the loss of a player like that from their, from their rotation for an extended period. And we should note that we'll have full coverage of both tournament games this week. Uh, I will be going down to San Antonio uh, Thursday morning. San Jose. San Jose. San if you go to San Antonio, you're going to be watching. <laughs> I don't think there's basketball no, there, know. but you might see some San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. Well, <laughs> go Spurs, go. <laughs> or maybe uh, maybe one of those, uh, isn't there a San Antonio uh, XFL team or whatever? Yeah, maybe I can catch uh, Mike Riley playing, coaching some uh, AAF. AFL, that's right. A- a- whatever it's called. But reset. I will be going to San Jose. <laughs> I swear I booked my flight to San Jose, oh, not San Antonio. Uh, and then Eric will be staying here in town to go go into women's games, and should uh, they advance to Portland, Eric will be there as well. Uh, and then we'll wait and see what happens with the men for me, because I think it's probably more of a given that uh, more more of a likelihood that Oregon women advance to the Sweet 16 uh, than the men do. But that being said, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm pick, I'm picking them to get to Louisville. Uh, in the South Regional. You talking about the men? Yeah. I think so too. I, 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 I agree. I think, I think the big thing comes down to, uh, how they play against Wisconsin in terms of confidence in that second game. If that's a game that's really tight and Oregon's offense isn't very good, then I'm gonna be a little bit more cause for concern for the next game, cause Kansas State's a pretty good team. They played well all season. We should note their best player, Will Dean, is 
hurt. I know. And that's another thing to kind of monitor is we don't know exactly what Kansas State, which is why UC Irvine has kind of become that sneaky pick because Kansas State might be playing a little bit shorthanded here. So if that's the case, then you feel a lot more confident in Oregon. But I I I think defense translates, and I think that's ultimately what what will lead them to winning their first two games. And and I think, again, I still think Virginia's on a bad matchup. I mean, for all the – if it's a heck of a lot better than playing Duke and Zion, I'll put it that way. Uh, ironically enough, um, I just looked at Ken Baum's rankings here. Yeah. Uh, the adjusted defensive rankings. So Wisconsin is third in the seat in the, on the year, mm-hmm. uh, in the country. And then Kansas State is fourth. Virginia is fifth. And then you've got Oregon, who is 18th. So you've got three of the best, four of the best. Oregon could play three really good defensive teams in a row. Yes. And, as crazy as it sounds, I think there's a better chance that Oregon wins those types of games Agreed. than going up against a Gonzaga or a Duke or a North Carolina who lead the country in scoring. Uh, and, and Oregon has to go in thinking, we've got to score 85 points just to stay within reach to have a potential chance of winning. Yeah. Oregon could score 55 in both games and win by five points. That's how... You know, that would be about what their average has been, yeah. about 52 points a game. So a lot, lots to watch for uh, from a basketball standpoint for men and for women as well. Uh, shifting over real quick before we wrap this up with men's, fo- for men's football, Oregon football, is that they've hit their spring break. Uh, this is finals week this week here in Eugene, so players are either still finishing up their finals or they've, they've finished and – They've had they've headed home or they've headed on vacation wherever they want to go. Uh, so Oregon won't be having any practices this week. They won't be having any football practices next week. Uh, and then uh, April, I think second is yep. is when they will open up practice again. Uh, and that will be their sixth of fifteen spring football practices. So I I was at two. You were at four. Two. Four. Yeah, four. Right. And then yeah. uh, the fifth practice was not open to the public. I, I guess just. Overlaying themes of, of the first four that we've seen? I think the depth really stood out, especially at spots where it hasn't been very good. I, I think you look at linebacker and defensive line, those are two areas where the last couple of years it's kind of been thin. You didn't know what you had. This year they're able to really run out two or three full right. teams of defenses with scholarship players that are going to be in the rotation that are competing to play a lot this year. I think that stood out. Um, I think the size stood out, frankly. Yeah, I think this team looks, team looks a little bigger. You know, I think that fourth quarter program, that offseason weightlifting program, I think it did, did its job. I think Aaron Feld deserves some credit because the bodies look different. For the offensive linemen, they look trimmed. Guys like Justin Johnson and Chris Randazzo uh, and Stephen Jones and even Penny Sewell, who came in weighing 350 to 380, they've lost 20 to 30 pounds since they've arrived. And that, that you can see that when you watch them move and kind of their body types. Uh, defensively, some of the guys look a lot bigger. I mean, there, there are people that are 15, 20 pounds heavier that are playing in, in key positions, and that stands out. So I think those are kind of the early things you're seeing. It's really hard to really – and I've, I've got my notepad here with the last two deep defensively and offensively to look at, but I'm kind of thinking Ooh. in the back of my head it's not really that important quite yet. But I think some things that stood out from that were we, we did see defensively finally kind of some inklings of what – Andy Avalos' defense would look like the first two practices that Matt was at. We didn't actually get to watch them run an 11-man rotation yeah, out. We saw crazy formation. Some like weird six-man rotations where you got like half the defense, and I don't know what the heck's going on. But um, we saw them do a couple things working with a stud linebacker. We saw them go a little bit of nickel and kind of what that looked like. 
Um, I think maybe uh, some things that kind of stand out from that is that stud is that we had DJ Johnson first team stud, and we had Lamar Winston as a second team team stud. Interesting. Um, Winston obviously has been starting at Oregon now for a couple of seasons. Johnson's a transfer. That's the kind of a thing to keep an eye out for. Uh, nickel at the nickelback position, Verone McKinley was the first team nickelback, and Hockey Woods was the second team nickel. We should mention Hockey Woods maybe gets a sixth year. He's practicing with the team right now. He tweeted something that kind of looked to indicate that. Yeah. We haven't confirmed it. We're gonna we're gonna wait before saying he has officially got his extra year, but that's something to kind of keep an eye out for um, as well. But. Yeah, I, I think you're kind of starting to see a little bit of what Andy Avalos is going to do, and I think through the rest of spring when we get back out there and then obviously into the fall, we'll have a better idea. But they are multiple. The two days that they did practice, they showed pretty different-looking schemes. Um, up front, we should also mention that uh, Sione Kaba moved, moved to the first-team defense this week over Drayton Carlberg. I played really? last year, yeah, at least as defensive end on, on Friday's practice. Um, and next to Jordan Scott and Austin Folly, who are, have been the starters for a couple of years. But that's kind of an notable thing. Gus Cumberlander, where does he fit? He was backing up uh, uh, Austin Folly as well. So a couple of things there that are kind of interesting. Obviously, first glimpses of Kayvon Thibodeau and all these freshmen. Didn't get to see a ton of them, to be yeah. frank. I mean, you were there. Unfortunately, every practice was inside. Yeah, and that, and that really limits our ability to walk around and kind of get a feel for these guys just because yeah. the spacing is just so limited. Yeah, we didn't get a great view of those guys I think I think one, one a couple guys that stood out in terms of players that were talking about people I think Brian Addison is somebody we heard a lot about wide receiver six foot five year redshirt last year uh, and then Verona McKinley again those are two names that we heard a lot of this week along with DJ Johnson who everybody was raving about but that was kind of an obvious one um, Johnson's a guy that I think you know a lot of Oregon fans probably already know about if you follow the team closely if you don't be, be ready to watch number seven off the edge because I think he's going to be a big time. He's like two hundred and seventy yeah, pounds. Yeah, we should mention that he—he's one of the guys that put on weight. He's six foot five, two hundred and seventy pounds, which is a I don't know if Warren's ever person. had an outside linebacker that and, big. And he runs like a four five forty. So uh, you know, really a talented. Oh, just a guy. four five. No he's slow. Time. He's not fast. Uh, and we should also mention Oregon held their uh, NFL Combine this last week too, or their pro day. Which you have stuff on the website for that. Not a ton that was really notable. See, uh, Tony Brooks, James, and I got four, four, five. But uh, <laughs> slow. I, you know, I would. I didn't. Wanna, I did that in my sleep. I didn't want to run out there and show them up. But uh, no. So uh, yeah. But so th- those are some things that kind of stand out uh, from the first five five days of practice. Of course, we only got to watch four of them. Um, I, I think it'll be curious to see when, when they reconvene, kind of focusing on some of the receivers and, and some of the other in- newcomers that are coming in. Uh, Mikhail Wright, uh, Micah Pittman. Cam Lewis and Patrick Herbert will be joining the group. Those are four other freshman class uh, players that will be here for the second part of spring. So things to keep in mind. There's also a practice in Portland. There's also a practice in Portland on April 6th. Yeah, which is open for the public in its entirety to our knowledge to go and watch. So, And they've moved it to Hillsboro, uh, Hillsboro Stadium. So I guess it's technically not in Portland anymore. Um, and I, I like this move because – we went to Jesuit two years ago to watch this team practice when it was Willie Taggart. Uh, I, I want to say like 3,000 people it was big, yeah. showed up to that practice. And that was awesome to see. But getting in and getting out was just an uh, extreme headache because Jesuit High School was not built to have – they don't have an infrastructure to hold that many people uh, and that many cars uh, for a practice like that. And so it was logistics hell to get out of there and get in there. Uh, and then this past spring, Mark Christopher's first year, it was at Franklin High School uh, in the PIL uh, in the Portland metro area, and fantastically awesome school. I, yeah, I didn't realize stadium. how beautiful it was. 
Uh, but again, parking was an issue. Was, we, we were kind of lucky because they kind of roped off uh, a specific area for the media coming up to, to watch the practice. But from a fan perspective, it was terrible. There wasn't very, there was hardly any place to park. Uh, you had to park on side streets and walk and all that. So they've moved it now to Hillsborough Stadium, which has an actual parking lot that can sustain, you know, a five, six thousand, seven thousand crowd. And, you know, depending on the weather, it's going to be on April 6th. It's a Saturday. Maybe we see a crowd that's five or six thousand people just because you've got now a team coming off a of bowl win. They've won nine games. Uh, you've got a superstar senior quarterback that's a name, you know, Justin Herbert, that everyone wants to see play. You've got a superstar defensive linebacker uh, that's a superstar in Troy Dye. He's also a senior. So this team has uh, – they're relatable because fans have, have seen these players play for multiple times. Uh, there, there's excitement brewing around this program. So maybe we, we see a Hillsborough practice that turns into – Kind of like a mini spring game. And I think they should do this every year. Yeah. there's I, I don't see really any negatives to doing it aside from maybe you don't quite get the same amount of practice reps. It's a little different when you're moving around a little bit. I don't think that's a negative thing too much either. Right. I, I think I think this is something that you'll continue to see. Obviously, this is the third year in a row. And, it, again, it makes a lot of sense to cater to Portland, which has a Large massive, fan massive fan base. This is where a lot of the, a lot of the graduates have, have moved north to Portland. And, uh, you know, I, I think it makes a ton of sense, and it'll be exciting to see, and that probably will be, for us as well, our first full practice we'll get to watch, maybe our only practice that we'll get to watch in its entirety this Before spring. So hopefully an opportunity for us to learn some things, because, again, not complaining about it, but we haven't seen a ton yet so far this spring. They went into pad- We should mention they went to full pads on Friday for the first time. Um, a guy like Cam McCormick had never, hadn't been in full pads since being injured earlier, so kind of cool opportunity to see. Guys like that on full pads for the first time. But, again, the first five practices of spring from what we saw, we fairly limited in terms of what we learned aside from kind of the basics of guys looked bigger, looked to be moving around pretty well, and it seems like they have good depth across the board. That's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to go to duckterritory.com, read all our work. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, you can sign up for your first month for a dollar. That's all it costs. One dollar gets you your first month uh, of access and, and uh even if you're on the fence, give it a try. Uh, your support helps send us to places like San Antonio. I said it again. San Jose. I really want to go to San go Antonio. Go back to Anima, Alamo. <laughs> uh, sends us to places like San Jose for the men's tournament. Sends us to Portland. Because even though it's a two-hour drive, that's a commitment that Eric's going to have to make four days in a row to be going up and down uh, to, to Portland to cover the women's team. Uh, sending us to bowl games, sending us to away games to bring you coverage. We, we really strive to not only bring you just coverage that's happening in Eugene. We try and go to every football game, which we did this season. And we'll do it again uh, this fall. And we're going to do it again this fall. Uh, we're trying to get to as many basketball games as we can. And, you know, we feel pretty confident in saying that, you know, these internet only sites, we're the only one out there that, that, that makes oh, yeah. this much of a commitment. To give you full round the cover, round the clock coverage of Oregon athletics, so your support is greatly appreciated and helps continue to allow us to do these types of things. So go give us a trial, uh, one dollar for one month. You can't beat that. There's nowhere else that, that has a better deal than that. Uh, and until we talk to you potentially after two more wins in the NCAA tournament for the men and for the women, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Madness is here.